This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. If you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that I've grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. How Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. This week's edition of Sports Business Radio is presented by Underdog Fantasy, the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio and the fastest-growing fantasy app. The Underdog Fantasy app is available at underdogfantasy.com on iOS and on Android. We've got a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. New users get up to $100 mapped on their first deposit when they use the promo code SBR, like Sports Business Radio, SBR. So download the app at underdogfantasy.com and then enter the promo code SBR to get up to $100 to play with. Speaking of Underdog Fantasy, Jeremy Levine, the founder and co-CEO of Underdog Fantasy, joins us for an in-depth conversation about fantasy sports gaming and sports betting on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. Levine is an experienced entrepreneur. He shares his founder's story about starting Underdog Fantasy, and he details why his company is innovative and unique in a crowded sports betting landscape. Levine also tells us where things are likely to shift in the future as well. I know you're going to find this conversation interesting and informative. A reminder to listen to Sports Business Radio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give Sports Business Radio a five-star rating if you enjoy our podcast. We always appreciate those. If you click on the plus sign on our Apple Podcast page, that will allow you to follow Sports Business Radio, and you'll have our podcast delivered to you as we publish every Tuesday. You can follow Sports Business Radio on Twitter at SB Radio and on Instagram, Threads, and TikTok at Sports Business Radio. I'm joined by Brian Griggs, our executive producer. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing great and always fun to have uh, a founder of an awesome company like Underdog. And uh, they've been so fun to work with. And if you are not on the app yet, get on there because it's so fun, so user-friendly, so easy to do. And uh, hey, you might be able to win some money and you know act like you know what you're talking about in sports, right? 
Don't pick DK Metcalf in your first draft, though. <laughs> That's right. We're going to be doing a, a best ball NFL draft uh, coming up in August. So we're looking forward to that. But yeah, they have so many great offerings. And, you know, I really found this conversation with Jeremy interesting. Um, underdog fantasy has kind of zagged where a lot of people zigged. And I like what they've done. And they're unique. And they are really targeting American sports betters. Um, and we've grown up playing fantasy, most of us. And, you know, we're not really betting as much with uh, spreads and over and unders. We like stats and we like following players. And, um, you know, we follow players as much as we do teams anymore. So they've integrated all of that into their offerings. It's really unique. And like you said, anytime we can have the founder of a company on, and hear the founder's story and the vision going forward. Because it's not just about launching the company. It's the long-term vision that you have and how the space is going to evolve. Jeremy really has an amazing handle on all of that. So I know people will enjoy that. Before we get to that conversation, I want to go through a few headlines of the week. Griggs, you know, we've talked on this show, gosh, for the last 19 years about how the sports media landscape has evolved. And we've seen so many shifts. I mean, look, podcasting didn't even exist when we started the show 19 years ago. It came along in 2007. And now you're looking at the newspaper. And we've talked about this a lot, the decline of mainstream sports media. Well, this week, wow. Kind of a smack in the face. The New York Times and the LA Times, two of the biggest newspapers in the world, announce that they're essentially guttering their sports departments. So New York Times is reassigning those reporters. Uh, LA Times says, look, we're not going to have box scores anymore. We're not going to have game stories. We're not going to have sports calendars. Like they've essentially cut down their sports coverage. And look, I, I understand. We have a thing called the internet now and people can get news immediately, but still, you know, the deeper stories and the profiles on the players and kind of that local coverage that people look for in their city is disappearing. So with the New York Times, they're going to rely more on the athletic who they paid $550 million to acquire to carry the torch with the sports coverage. And there are some great writers with the athletic, but they don't have the the same history and sense that the New York Times sports writers have. And again, you're losing that local flavor as well. Um, so it's going to be interesting. But all in all, it's just another sad day for journalism and for sports media, because uh, you know these are two institutions that have long histories and those are going by the wayside. I mean, remember July 10? 2023 is the day that the New York Times and the LA Times on the same day, Griggs, announced that they're cuttering their sports department. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I, I loved growing up. I, I loved reading the sports section. I loved, you know, if there was a big game coming up, you'd have the preview, you know, you did the breakdown of the players. And then, like you said, those local stories afterwards where like, you know, you learn about the parents of a player or you learn about where this kid came from or you just don't have that on the Twitters and the threads and all that anymore. You have little blips of things here and there, but you don't have those full feature link stories. So yeah, it's it's really sad, and those are two iconic papers. I mean, I, I love reading those. I mean, we're not even in New York or LA, and I love reading those. Uh, and I, I used to love picking them up at the coffee shop. You know, you'd have them sitting at the coffee right. shop and pick it up and read. And it's it's just sad. So, uh, you know, I think the athletic does a good job, but uh, it's not the same as picking up a paper and reading those uh, those behind the, the you know the in depth stories of those players. 
Well, and this news comes on the heels of about 10 days ago, uh, ESPN laying off 20 of their most prominent on-air reporters, Susie Colbert, Steve Young, Jeff Van Gundy, uh, Jalen Rose, many others that had been there. Susie Colbert had been there, I think, 28 years. Yeah. So, again, the sports media is evolving. Um, what's always puzzling to me with an ESPN is you're paying you know, literally hundreds of millions of dollars for live sports rights, but you can't afford a reporter. And then the other thing is, like, I'll see, like, Van Gundy is dismissed, and then they're like, oh, and we're going to have this person and this person replace Van Gundy. Okay, where do you find that money from? <laughs> like, is that person going to be less expensive than Van Gundy? Okay, that would make sense. You can get them cheaper. But... If you're just going to replace uh, so-and-so with, you know, Pat McAfee, who I like, but Pat McAfee is making a lot of money and you could probably pay a few different reporters with the money you're paying Pat McAfee. Like, I just wonder, like, what's the rhyme and reason? It almost seems like one day they're like, okay, we have to get the spreadsheet down to this number. And then a week later, they're like, okay, now we have money again. We can, you know, go Disney that we can hire Pat McAfee for you know, $100 million or Troy Aikman and Joe Buck or, you know, do a deal with the Mannings. And and again, I like all of those people. You know, if I was ESPN, I'd be hiring those people too. But when you see people of the ilk of some of the people that I just mentioned lose their jobs, you just wonder, like, why are the rules this way for some people and that way for other? Like I said, I've never seen any of these people's contracts. So maybe it's cost cutting. Maybe you can hire someone for less than you could the person who had that job previously. I don't know, but it's sad because there's a lot of institutional knowledge. There's a lot of knowledge about the leagues they were covering. Um, you know, you look at a Steve Young or a Jeff Van Gundy or a Susie Colber, like they know a lot about the sport that they were covering and that all walks out the door with them. So are you going to replace them with someone who knows the same, who sees things the same way, who has relationships with people and can mention those. I don't know. We'll see. But, you know, ESPN, that was big news too, Greg. Yeah, I think the value of that talent, all those talent, the people you mentioned too, is like you said, they know their sport. I love watching a broadcast where someone is giving me insight that I might not know. You know, somebody that's been on the field, somebody that's thrown the pass, that's taken the hit, that's dunked the ball. You know, I get more out of a, an analyst that knows the sport, that's played the sport or coached the sport. So, you know, I think you lose some of these big ones like the Jalen's and the Van Gundy's that are so in the sport and know the game that you learn. I love learning while I'm watching a sporting event. You know, as fun as it is just to relax and chill and watch a game, I like to learn about the game too and, and get the feel of the game. So I think that that's a big miss. But the sporting world, like you mentioned, it's, it's like a tornado now. I think it's like there's so much stuff going on and changing that they're kind of scrambling to try and figure out how we cover this. How do we do it cost effectively? Who's watching this? Who's doing this? So it's just uh, it's always changing and we'll keep you updated for sure. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see, do any of those people that got laid off by ESPN land somewhere else? Like, does Jeff Van Gundy start doing games with his brother on TNT right, or NBA TV? Like, it'll be interesting to see where they land because there are some really talented big names out there. And do they land somewhere else? So that's the other part of the story is there's some pretty talented people from the sports media landscape, whether it's ESPN, the New York Times or the LA Times that are looking for jobs now. So uh, where will some of those people land next? The last thing I want to cover before the interview with Jeremy is just the 
evolving landscape of social media. So we just talked about the sports media. How about social media? So in the last week, a new platform has risen up to take on Twitter, and it's called Threads. And it is backed by Mark Zuckerberg, who founded Facebook, who also owns Instagram. And now Threads fits in with Facebook and Instagram. So I'm on Instagram, Sports Business Radio. And, you know, it was very easy. I actually got invited to be an early, uh, you know, person on the threads before everyone else came on there. And it's literally two clicks. It's like, okay, do you want to move your profile from Instagram over to threads? Yes. And, you know, do you want to have your following come with you? Sure. Yes. So boom, boom, you're over on threads. Um, as of this recording, threads has had the fastest social media app launch in history. So 100 million users in a week. Jeez, that's a lot. And I think a lot of it has to do is, like I said, you can move your Instagram following over to threads. Some people don't want that. Some people, you know, wanted to be able to pick and choose and they're going to have to go through and maybe uh, customize their following a little bit or unfollow people. Because, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, my Instagram and my Twitter followings are very different, and I don't necessarily want my Instagram followers to be my thread followers. But Greg's the other part of this too is Elon Musk, as everyone knows, acquired Twitter last year. $44 billion he paid for it. Total, in my opinion, ego buy. Yeah. Right? He took it from being a publicly traded company to private, wanted to control the conversations. Um, you know, it was an expensive toy for him to purchase. A lot of things have changed. And one of the things that's changed, and this is ridiculous, is you have a rate limit on Twitter. So if you don't buy the subscription on Twitter and pay Twitter, you can only look at so many tweets per day. And then they say, you've exceeded your rate limit. And basically, you can't look at any more tweets. Well, along comes threads. And they're like, Scroll as long as you want. Stay on here as long as you want. Engage as long as you want. They're kind of trying to be the anti-Twitter. Um, ironically, people have almost forgotten that Mark Zuckerberg, who is a controversial character in his own right, is also the owner of Threads. People are so upset with Elon Musk for what he's done with Twitter um, that you know they're like, well, I'll go on to any other platform, including one owned by Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> if that gets me away from Elon. What I've noticed so far is a lot of people are still remaining on Twitter, as we are, Sports Business Radio. We're at SB Radio on Twitter. We're at Sports Business Radio on Threads. But, Greg, this is how I tell if something is going to succeed or not. A few things. One, like I said, 100 million people have already signed up in one week. That's a pretty good sign for your long-term success if you're Threads. Number two, who's using the platform? Well, most of the sports leagues, most of the sports teams, most of the influential athletes are all moving over to threads. And when I see that along with sports media, brands like Nike opening up threads accounts, you start going, wait a minute, these people wouldn't be investing the resources into this if they were just going to like, get on here for a week and then say, ah, I got bored or this isn't going to be a thing. Let's get off of here. 
when you're putting these resources behind this, it shows it's probably going to be around for a while. Now, the thing that sucked for people who run social media, for the athletes, for the teams, for the leagues, for the brand, you just got another platform added to your plate that you've got to populate. So you were already doing Twitter. You were already doing Instagram. You were already doing TikTok. You were already doing Facebook. You were already doing, you know, Reddit or whatever. And now your <laughs> boss comes to you and says, hey, this new thing called threads just won't. Uh, we need you to move us over, get us registered, and we need you to start populating that. Uh, what? Uh, <laughs> do I get any more money for doing this? No. It's just another part of your job. Go ahead and do it. And let's see. And then the other thing too, Greg, is people don't know what the voice of threads is yet. Like, is it the Instagram voice? Is it the Twitter voice? Is it a completely different voice? So it's really interesting to watch people kind of arrive on threads. Hello, everyone. I'm on thread. <laughs> and then they're like, well, do I just put what I would put in a tweet on threads? Do I do something like I would do on Instagram? Is it more video? Is it more text? Like people are trying to find their individual or corporate voice on threads. But I think it's going to be around for a while. And I don't think it's going anywhere. And I don't think that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is used to failure. And again, this is really kind of uh, fueled by Instagram. So they're off to uh, a huge start. And I think they're going to be around, but I think the people who have to do content for a living, even <laughs> us, like it's just one more platform that we feel like we need to be on and yeah. about the link to our podcast and let's make sure we're sharing thoughts and insights on threads. Like it's just another part of the day. And, you know, God, we're moving more and more towards nonverbal and non-IRL in real life and more and more towards you know, everything's happening in, in the digital realm. And I don't really like it. I like sitting down with people face to face. I, I like having conversations. I, I'm not one who likes to just live in the digital space. But do I understand that it's part of what we do and part of getting word out about what we do and covering the sports industry and the business industry? Yeah, I understand that. Do I specifically like it? Not really. Yeah, the whole point's to not talk to any humans anymore, right? Just just write it out. <laughs> I mean, man, are we like 20 years away from being nonverbal society and run by AI? Like, <laughs> uh, you know, I hate to sound like get off my lawn guy, but like if you think about it, 20 years ago, none of these social media apps even existed. It's true. Right? So we did. And I think the iPhone didn't exist 20 years ago, if I'm correct. Um, or it was just starting to, yeah. you know, come down the pipe. It was very early stages. So you fast forward 20 years from now and you're like, are we just all <laughs> going to live online? And is AI going to rule everything? Like, where are we headed? And again, yeah. I don't want to sound conspiracy theory or sound like chicken little, the sky is falling. But when you start looking at, you know, some of these trends, like one of the things about the newspaper, I'll sound like get off my lawn guy for a minute, is you know, you used to sit around in the coffee shop or the barber shop or the restaurant. You, you physically held the paper. Uh, you know, if I was taking a flight, I'd get, you know, USA Today or I'd get the newspaper and I'd read the newspaper on the plane. Well, you don't see any of that anymore. And, and it was kind of, oh, someone could see what you're reading in the newspaper. Hey, you see that game last night? You see the home run from so-and-so? 
Like it, it was a conversation starter. Well, no one's really looking at you on your phone, scrolling, going, hey, <laughs> what do you see on that story? Or what do you like? We just are siloed more and, and I don't like it. I understand the business. I understand where it's evolving to. I don't necessarily like it. Yeah, I think uh, I do. The threads thing is cool. I like that we have a new platform that's kind of battling Twitter because I think Twitter's kind of been its own universe since it started. You know, there was no other app that really kind of was the Twitter vibe. So I like that there's that second outlet for it. It was fun opening day, just seeing everybody pop on there. Like you were saying, like, hey, I'm on threads. What do we do now? Do I post right. a meme? Do I yeah. post a video? <laughs> here's a picture of my dog. Here, yeah. It's here's kind of fun. A post to, you know, the same thing that I would post on Twitter. Right, right. I think you're right. Anytime there's competition, it's usually good for the consumer, right? Yeah. So Twitter kind of had a monopoly on this. Mm -hmm. I mean, others had tried to rise up and you know, create a platform that would take on Twitter and, and replace that community or at least give people another option. I think Threads is the best uh, rival to Twitter that we've seen. And again, because they're backed by Zuckerberg and Instagram and Facebook, I think they have the staying power to say, all right, we can tweak some things, we can work through some challenges and we're going to be around for a while. Um, so I think we are going to see this battle between Twitter and threads. And, you know, we'll see if only one makes it out or if both continue. And, you know, again, either people are going to have to decide which one do I want to be on or I got to be on both. And what's the voice? And is it the same voice? And am I posting the same thing on Twitter as I do on threads and vice versa? It's going to be interesting. But, you know, I think people are going to remember this week again not only for New York Times and LA Times, but, oh, Threads launched. And most people remember when Facebook launched, when Instagram launched, when Twitter launched. And it's another big thing, but it's another big time suck for companies and for people. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, uh, again, something to watch. And it'll be interesting to see the numbers. You know, they had the big blast of 100 million signups. Will it keep growing? Will it kind of peak there? So that'll be fun to watch. And, uh, It'll be just, it's fun. I've been on there a bunch just watching what, what you said, like what teams are posting, what people are posting. So it's a, it's a fun new outlet. I'm enjoying it. Well, and I'll say this, um, we've got some big guests coming up. So watch our feeds because we'll be announcing who some of those guests are. Um, and I think you're going to find those conversations interesting. But today on our show this week, Jeremy Levine, founder and co-CEO of Underdog Fantasy. Again, anytime we can have a founder on, anytime we hear the founder story, anytime we hear the vision for the future, it's always educational for all of us. So let's get to the interview with Jeremy Levine, founder and co-CEO of Underdog Fantasy. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy sports. It's also the fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Your fantasy leagues might be over, but you can still play fantasy sports games on Underdog Fantasy. I love playing Pick'em and Rivals. With Pick'em, you can pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. You can win 20 times your money in a single night. You pick between two and five players to build a pick'em entry. Also, Rivals pits two players against each other. That's a lot of fun, too. It could be 
two players on the same team. It could be two players from other teams, points, rebounds, fantasy points. It's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying that with NBA games, especially right now. Sign up today with promo code SBR and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the App Store. And don't forget to register with my promo code SBR, like Sports Business Radio, to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Must be 18 plus and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-522-4700 or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Jeremy Levine. He is the founder and co-CEO of Underdog Fantasy. You can find more about them at underdogfantasy.com. Underdog Fantasy is the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio. We're proud to be partnered with them. Jeremy, welcome to Sports Business Radio. How are you? Thank you. Um, I'm great. I'm great. Great to be on a, uh, a partner show. Yeah, this is great because... You've been in this industry for a long time. You've seen so much evolution and, and change during the time. But one of the things I always like to do when we have someone like you on a founder is tell your founder story. How did Underdog Fantasy come to be? We have three or four hours. Yeah, um, sure. We have as long as you I'll, want. Uh, I'll try to do the three-minute rendition. Growing up as a kid, all I cared about was sports. And my favorite thing to do was collect sports cards. And I always wanted the rookie cards of players I thought would be good because I thought down the line I could sell them for more. Now, unfortunately, I, I, uh, I went all in on Vince Carter instead of Kobe Bryant. Probably would have had yeah. different returns. Had I, it, Vince wasn't bad, but, but obviously no Kobe. Had this idea in my head for a long time of a sports stock market because that's what I was doing with the sports cards. In college, I was always really interested in entrepreneurship. I listen to all the podcasts from Steve Jobs and Bill Gates podcasts. And I remember there's a Mark Pincus one that was really impactful. Like, And um, I always knew I wanted to start a company. I thought at the time a sports stock market was illegal. My senior year of college, a sports stock market launched, raised money from great investors on the front page of Yahoo and the Wall Street Journal. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to go do it better. That graduated college, not technical, no money, no connections, really. I had no idea what I was doing. Started making some progress, launched the sports stock market. At the same time, saw the early growth of what's now known as daily fantasy sports. FanDuel and early growth. I mean, probably had a thousand customers. DraftKings didn't exist yet. Thought there was something there and thought we could build a better product. Um, so did that. This is early. I graduated college in 2009. This is early 2011 now. And built a product in six weeks, launched it. And within two weeks, had made more money than we had in the prior two years doing the sports stock market. And I said, well, wow. this is where we should focus. Yeah. Um, and that started my nearly 13 years in um, daily fantasy sports and, and building fantasy sports products. So built a product there, was kind of neck and neck with, with FanDuel or DraftKings for a while, was third to FanDuel and DraftKings when we sold that in 2014 because we had a different vision we wanted to build. Um, and that was draft. That was focusing on a mobile game a more casual game. We saw a lot of the challenges with the salary cap format daily fantasy game that FanDuel and DraftKings offer, how hard it was for customers to win unless you were really hardcore, how tough it was for a novice customer, and just how much time and kind of hardcore it was and wanted to build a simpler, more casual game. That was at kind of the early days of mobile really becoming a meaningful platform. And so we, we wanted to build a game that really worked for customers on, on their phones, and that was Draft. And that was another wild journey. Um, raise money, 
grew fast. Um, a year in, the New York Attorney General said daily fantasy sports are illegal, obviously talking about FanDuel and DraftKings, but we're caught up in that. Over the next six months, another 14 Attorney General said daily fantasy sports are illegal. We have an industry then work to pass laws. Um, over that summer, past eight laws, I remember testifying or being giving a speech on the city hall steps um, in New York. And then in the summer, that bill passed. Had a great football season again. And after that, um, the next year, ended up meeting the um, then CEO of what, or what's then called Patty Power Best there, now called Flutter. Hit it off with him and ultimately they ended up acquiring draft. That was kind of phase two of the journey. And then long kind of more stories there, but scaled up draft a lot, helped um, Flutter and actually had the idea for Flutter to acquire FanDuel. Ultimately, draft got merged in a, merged in a FanDuel. FanDuel um, then made the decision to or was going to and sat down draft. I left and there a lot of the early members of drafts left and we said, hey, we should do this again. There's this huge gap in the product offering and what we offered, but there's also a way bigger opportunity now that sports betting is here and we know exactly what to build. We know the vision. We started Underdog in early 2020 with really simple thesis, huge ambitions, but a simple thesis of if we can be the best at building product, we can build the biggest company in this space. Um, and now we're three years in and, and we believe that more than ever and, and feel like we're on obviously a lot more to do, but, but on track to that. Before we get into specifics about underdog, another kind of general question. Um, you've got to have a certain mindset and um, just the ability to st- stare down the barrel of a, a shotgun when you're an entrepreneur, because you're not always going to succeed the first time around. What are some of the traits of an entrepreneur that you think need to be like, you know, again, you've done this successfully. There's a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to this show and they're like, gosh, what are the traits I need to be successful? The when I'm looking to invest in other founders, I'm I'm looking for someone who just won't let their vision die, won't let their company die. Right. If you're not going to let your company die, you can't. It won't go to business. It won't fail, right? And I mean, in that the early days, especially, I mean, there were there were so many kind of like what you would just consider death experiences. I had one of our our largest investors um, after we sold say, "Hey, we every Friday put companies into different categories. You were in the dead pool three different times. We've never had a, and and this is the one of the most legendary seed stage investors. We've never had a company come out of the dead pool before and succeed." Wow. So you came out of the Deadpool. Three times. Oh my goodness. But that's only three of the times they knew about. There were probably another couple of times where it, it felt like we were dead um, through that journey. That's incredible. I mean, so persistence and, and just an undying belief that you're going to succeed sounds like what you need to have as an entrepreneur. You, you, have, to, you have to be a little bit crazy and, and you have to believe that there's, you have a vision for the world that is right that others clearly don't see or would exist already. Um, and yeah, I mean, looking like I'm now almost 14 years into still working on the same thing and it's, it's building building better experiences and products for the American sports fans. Yeah. It's one thing for you to have the vision. It's another thing for you to convince investors to say, hey, come on along for the ride. You've got investors that include Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, Jared Goff. These are people who don't just invest in anything. They have a pretty good track record of investing. 
What was your pitch to them to get them to come along for this ride? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, and we have a lot of different types of investors. In the early days, we really focus on individuals, people with brands, people who have credibility in our, our space, right? Fantasy sports and sports betting um, in the sports world. Um, and then as we raised our Series B, we wanted that institutional partner that could scale with us and, and BlackRock led our Series B. It, it's, it's what I said earlier. It's the, the vision that there is more to be built for the American consumer um, than the products that are being offered to them today. And by, by building the best products, we have the ability to build a massive company. And I mean, look, that's the, that's the whole thesis of, of what we're doing, right? It, that the products that have existed and continue to exist for the Americans, for sports fans, for the American sports fan, aren't the right products for them. And there's a lot more to be built. Um, and if you think about sports betting, right? Obviously, there's massive new categories that's growing US consumer segments. Um, it's a massive, massive TAM in the many tens of billions. The products that everyone are offering, right? There's the sports book. The sports book wasn't built for an American consumer. The sports book was built for customers in the UK and Europe. And the American sports fan is fundamentally different from who the sports book was built for. Um, there's four key differences that we think are really important. One is that we in America, we didn't grow up betting on sports. And if we did, we had to jump through a lot of hoops to do it. We've grown up playing games, right? 60 million people a year play some form of fantasy sports. 90 million people a year or 90 million March Madness brackets are done in March, right? Or, or we're just done this past March. Um, we do survivor pools, pick them pools, Super Bowl squares. We collect sports cards. We've created all these ways to increase our enjoyment with sports and express our opinions on sports um, that are all uniquely American. None of them are played at any scale anywhere outside of the country, right? So that's the biggest difference. And then that difference creates another one, which is we care way more about players and staff where overseas, there's a lot more loyalty to the teams. A third key difference is the pace of play. Where overseas, the sports are mostly continuous, right? The sports they bet on. Horse racing, rugby, F1, soccer, they're continuous sports. Our sports are very stop and go. Um, and then a fourth key difference is the place and time, right? A sports book was built to take what was offline at a smoky retail shop 20 years ago in the UK and bring it online. And that product's fundamentally never changed since. It's the same design, same architecture. Um, our customers aren't captive in a retail shop, right? The, the opposite. They're almost 95% of our activity on Underdog is on mobile. It's on, it's on, wow. It's on wow. And we've got customers who aren't captive. They expect instant gratification. They have ADHD. They're already distracted because they're watching Stop and Go Sports. They care more about players and stats and they're used to playing games. And it makes it so obvious how different the products that they're going to enjoy and that are going to be built for them could be. Um, and so that's what we think our opportunity is, is just continue to build products for the American sports fans, not bring the same sports book over to America and kind of with different cross-sell vehicles, which is what we see the incumbents doing. That's brilliant. Because I think a lot of people don't think about those four differences that you just brought up. Um, let's drill into underdog fantasies yeah. product and and offerings um look sports gaming is a crowded landscape but i think underdog fantasy has done some really clever things maybe you can talk about you know what differentiates underdog fantasy from the competition yeah totally so just like in sports betting right there's the overarching category sports betting 
that's really defined today by the sports book. Ideally, that won't be the case. You go five years forward. In fantasy sports, in real money fantasy sports, right, overarching category, it was defined by the salary cap daily fantasy game that I'm sure a lot of the listeners are familiar with. It's what FanDuel and DraftKings really kind of popularized. Um, just like the sports book, that's a hardcore product that's pretty unapproachable and tough for novice customers. It, it's a great hardcore game, but it's a really hardcore game. Um, we built Underdog by building different, different fantasy games. We have three core different fantasy games. Um, and they combine, they serve different purposes, whether it's acquisition, retention, monetization, they're really social. And combined, they create a better customer experience. And so it's about building different games and different products. And we've had different results as a result of that. Right? We, we say it often at the company, if we, just, if we did the same thing, if we built even a great sports book, we're not going to beat FanDuel. FanDuel's got a great sports book. And even if we build a better sports book, they've got all kinds of advantages with a sports book. We can't win by playing the same games. And we've seen at peak, there were 60 different sports books in America. It was very obvious to us the entire time that they were almost all going to fail. And frankly, all but three have basically failed. And there's a couple others kind of hanging on. Um, fantasy sports and salary cap fantasy was, was no different. There were over, over the last 15 years, there were over a hundred different real money daily fantasy sites. Well, there's two and a half, three that succeeded and counting draft as, as the half or one of those succeeded. Um, and then Sando and DraftKings, obviously. Everyone else failed. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, offerings that you have is Fastball Mania. Cool. So in 2021, I think it was $3.5 million was the prize yeah. offering. 2022, 10 million. Now it's up to $15 million. And A, that prize money is pretty attractive, right? But B, I love as a busy person that I can draft my team and then I can kind of just leave it alone. I don't have to make daily or even weekly adjustments to my lineup. And, um, you know, it's still a lot of fun, but to me, like underdog fantasy, this offering specifically is built for the busy person like me who just doesn't have time to watch this on, you know, an hourly basis. Best ball is a, a great example of, of underdog and what we do um and it's it's also it's my favorite it's my favorite fantasy game i think it's the way fantasy should be played um back at draft we saw there was a company my fantasy league that kind of they they had a best ball product you kind of did, did it over email no offense to them but their site looks like it was built in 2001 and but we saw some of our customers enjoying it so we, we kind of talked to those customers understood it and said hey we can build something big here um and we did that at draft and then when draft was shut down, there was this void. There was no best ball site. Now, when we started Underdog, we knew Fanda was building it. We knew DraftKings was building it. Um, but that was the start of Underdog. It was, hey, let's, let's build best ball. And, and what we really understood when we first built it back at draft was when you ask people their favorite part of fantasy, most often, I mean, sometimes they stay winning. That's a good answer for those who win. But most <laughs> often, it's a draft. Right. And so how can we build an experience that takes the most fun part, but takes away the part that people sometimes don't enjoy, which is the management, right? Right. You think about a traditional season long league, half the people did the draft and never come back. After week six, another half of them haven't come back, don't come back if they're not in first or second. And it ruins the experience for everyone. And with best ball, you just do the draft, right? You do the draft and that's it. And we have two different versions. There's a fast draft, which is 30 second pick clock, takes about 40 minutes. And then there's a slow draft, which is my favorite. It's an eight-hour pick clock, pauses overnight, so you're never going to miss a pick. 
you can enter as many as you want. You just have to pick up your phone once a day and make your picks. So I've always got five, six, seven of them going out of time. We get playing employee leagues. We can't play for the $15 million, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but it, it's so much fun. And it becomes this great game where casual customers love it because they get to do the draft and that's it. And they don't have to worry about the management. But also hardcore players love it because they can do thousands. Our top customer last year did over 4,000 real money best ball drafts because you do the draft and then there's no management whatsoever. So when you're doing a season-long league with management, a commissioner league, you can't. You do four, five, six, seven, you're trying to compete at the full-time job now, right? You can't do 20, 30, 40 and really compete. With this, you can do as many as you want. Um, so, so that's a game that we've really popularized. We actually launched about a month before FanDuel and DraftKings launched their best ball products. In our first year, we did more, more in entry fees. We ran a million dollar tournament. We did more in entry fees than both FanDuel and DraftKings. Second year, same. Three and a half, we ran a three and a half million dollar tournament. I, I think that was the biggest then. Third year, we ran a $10 million tournament. DraftKings ran a three and a half million dollar tournament. Fourth year now, we just ran the largest tournament in the history of fantasy sports, $15 million tournament. Um, and so something we're really proud of where it's a place where they've obviously had way larger user bases than us, but customers are choosing to play with the product they prefer and the brand they prefer. Well, and let's dig into basketball a little bit more so our audience completely understands it. So you participate in the draft and then what underdog fantasy does is, is you basically take the stats from your best performers and those are the stats that are used. So again, you know, one of the other frustrations of fantasy is, oh my God, I had this guy on the bench. He had an incredible week and I missed the points. With this, I'm getting the points of the best performers, right? Exactly. Exactly. So you draft just like a standard draft you do with your friends. You join a draft with 12 people and you draft 18 players. Um, and then each week you get the points at each starting position for the player who scores the most points. So you're going to start a quarterback, two running backs, right? If you have three quarterbacks and it's week six and Patrick Mahomes has the most points, you're getting the Patrick Mahomes points, right? So that's, that's the best ball element. Yeah, that's great. Um, other offerings that you have that I love, pick them. I was doing that a ton during the NBA playoffs. Um, you know, that's fun. You're basically going higher or lower on the stats. Um, and exactly. I love like doing combined stats for like Joker, points, rebounds, and assists. And man, yep. was he hitting the over a lot. Yep. I mean, that became like just money in the bank to put him into one of your, you know, three or four uh, player prop bets. Um, and yep. then rivals. Um, you know, I, I see today uh, as we record this, you know, you've got Wemben Yama against Brandon Miller, the one and two picks in the recent yeah. draft. And, you know, that's fun when you pit players against each other and there's a little bit of a spread on, you know, do you want to take Brandon Miller minus two against Wemben Yama on the points, rebounds and assists or just points. And so... These are fun offerings that I don't find anywhere else, to be honest with you. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really fun, quick version of fantasy, right? And, mm -hmm. and it's a great example of a game that it, it takes a different amount of time. And sometimes it's for a different type of customer where you can make a really quick, simple picks and say, hey, I think on my own, I, I don't know the, the, the stat projection offhand, but going to have over 18 points in his first game, right? You're going to go lower than higher than that. It's a really fun way to build a very quick fantasy experience. And so DAP become really popular as well.
Yeah. Let's talk about the tech behind this because so many things launch and it looks great on paper and the games are great and everything, but then the tech is a fail. You guys have fantastic tech behind. And, and I think that's a really interesting stat that you brought up earlier in this conversation. 90% of your customers are on mobile. So you've got to make sure that it's a quick and easy experience for them. Some of these bets are in real time. You have second half things going on and, and, and stuff like that. So, um, Tell us about the tech behind Underdog Fantasy. Yeah, look, that's, again, the, the whole thesis and nature of the company. We're a tech company. Mm-hmm. And I mean, more than, more than half our company is product engineering and design. We've got over 100 engineers at the company. And we, we made the choice early on of we're going to build all our own technology, all our own core technology. Um, when we launch our sports betting products, we'll be the only company to have ever launched entirely on our own tech stack. And look, it means it takes longer. We're building it from scratch, but we need to, to do what we're planning to do, right? If we just wanted to offer a sports book, we could have, we could have partnered with one of the third party platform providers or brought in third party technology, like almost everyone else has to launch and launch a sports book. It would already be live, would have some percent market share, would be doing all right, but would never be able to build the full vision of what we want to build because those products are built and created to build a sports book. And what we're building is something totally different. So. As we build our licensed vetting products, they're not going to look, they're not going to look like other sports books. They're going to be platforms for American customers to play games. And there'll be really different customer journeys, really different ways for us to acquire customers and engage those customers, retain those customers, monetize those customers. Um, and we can only do that if we build our own technology. It's the only way we get to build something different. That, that's the core piece of the business and something you don't see a lot in this space, really technology companies. Yeah. That's a very unique. Um, the industry overall, again, it's evolving and changing. It's changed a lot in the last, you know, 14 years that you've, uh, been involved with this. Where do you see this all going and where do you see things going specifically for, for underdog? If you can talk about that. Yeah. I, I think it's in waves. Um, and I see like we're kind of finishing up wave one of sports betting in America right now. Um, sports betting was made no longer federally illegal when the Supreme Court overruled a case um, known as PASTA um, just over five years ago. And it was very obvious. It was very obvious to me. It was very obvious to us at Underdog that the early winners were going to be FanDuel and DraftKings. It was going to be the companies that offered real money fantasy sports to customers, had those customers credit cards, had money in their account, and those customers are already playing and engaging. And that would be the best cross-sell vehicle. Now, I remember back then, five years ago, most people thought it was going to be Caesars and MGM in the large casinos. Look, they have 55, 60 million loyalty rewards program members, right? right? Customer base. But it was really obvious to us that the user base for FanDuel and DraftKings, and at the time, Draft, even we had 350,000 customers at the time. I thought that was more valuable than the 60 million from Caesars or MGM um, because they're real mo- they're playing real money sports teams with money in their accounts already. And they're already KYC. They've already given us their IDs and what they need to play. Um, and so that's obviously how Wave 1 has played out, where FanDuel and DraftKings today are almost 75% of the market. Um, wave 2 is going to be about innovation, right? And if you fast forward another five years, I think things are going to start to look very different. And it's going to be about the, custom, the companies that can build the best products for the consumers and really innovate because the existing sports book, look, it's a great, it's a great experience for 
that top 1% of the customers who is thinking about this really financially driven, really thinking through it in a very transactional way. Um, we often say games, not transactions, is what we're trying to build. Um, sports books are very transactional. It's like landing on Schwab and navigating markets. They're, we want to increase fans' enjoyment with sports, allow them to express opinions on sports in more ways. And the product that we think do that for the large set of American consumers are very different than what the sports book is. And as an example, you look back at March, right? 90 million people or so doing March Madness brackets. In that month, there were probably 4 million people who bet on illegal sports. And that probably only served the top 10% of them somewhat well, right? So there's this wide gap that isn't covered in the core sportsbook experience. And, and that's what we're building for. Wow. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it 37 states in D.C. currently where gambling is legal in the United States? Are those numbers ballpark correct? 27. Oh, 27 states allow today, 27 states have legislation for and allow some form of online sports play. So do you see the day five, 10 years from now where all 50 states are allowing this? Or do you think there's still going to be opposition in some states? They're likely, there are some states that likely will not offer online sports betting, Utah, Hawaii, but you fast forward 10 years, I think mo certainly most will already over half the population does. Um, but the three largest states today don't yet. California, Texas, and Florida do not have online sports betting yet. Um, so there's mass population. I mean, California, when it launches, will be the largest market to ever launch sports betting, larger than any country all by itself. Wow. And that's a mass surprise. And when we think about what we're building towards, well, we want to make sure by the time that launches, we've got this full-fledged product for our customers and we have the best product in market. And as long as we keep growing, we've acquired more customers than anyone else there. And we're in position to be number one in California. Yeah, that's great. Um, before I let you go, are you able to tease or give us some idea of, you know, beyond best ball, beyond pick em, beyond rivals? Um, you kind of mentioned March Madness. Are there some other games out there that we've all enjoyed over the years that you might be offering at some point in the future? The, the plan is all of them. If people enjoy them, we want to offer them. That's great. Well, and as you mentioned, the fact that you do your own tech and that you can build that out on your own, I would think has to give you a huge advantage that you're not relying on another company to provide that for you. Exactly. I mean, it, it's what will allow us is kind of this continuous cycle where it allows us to continue to build great product and games that then cycle right back through and give us all these advantages. And it's how we build a very different business. Uh, let's end on this. For you personally, I mean, this has got to be pretty satisfying. I know, you know you're probably in the first quarter, second quarter, if this is a four quarter game. So there's still a lot of growth left but as you reflect back on this journey so far what are your thoughts yeah, i think we're probably in the first three minutes um, really that early it, there's i mean look at look at look at the size of, of the opportunity right i mean sandal if they were in the, independently public right now that'd be worth over 25 billion dollars DraftKings is worth about 12 billion dollars um there is so much more to be built and there's no one building it right now and and 
that's our opportunity, right? So this is this is not a couple year journey for us. We believe we can build the biggest company in the space over the long haul. And I've been trying to do it now for almost 14 years. Um, I've been I've been second and third to uh to DraftKings a couple times before, FanDuel and DraftKings. Um we we think this time if if we succeed over the long term, we can build the biggest company in the space. I know you said you know, you're looking for people to participate in your games, not as much transactional, but is there ever the day where you may decide, you know what, we will be doing sports betting too. Like if I just want to bet on the spread of uh, the Super Bowl or the over under, is that something where you guys may jump into that as well? Yeah, we, we definitely will. Um, if for us, it's about the best experience for customers and doing, right? Mm-hmm. Right now in fantasy, there's kind of a, there's in different state in state by state, there's a set of regulations we have to follow. By going into sports betting, we're allowed to, we're, we're able to offer our customers way more and therefore better experiences and more experiences. And of course, that includes if, if people want to play games and placing a bet, just playing a game, we want to allow them to do that. We just want to make sure it's the best customer journey, it's the best customer experience in doing it. I think a, an analogy that's, I feel like often overused, but that kind of apt is you look at, Robinhood versus Schwab, right? You can do the same things, but Robinhood is a better experience for, for a large set of customers because it's, it's simpler and more streamlined and easier for them to understand and be confident in what they're doing. Well, this has been fantastic. And again, Jeremy, uh, we love being a partner of Underdog Fantasy. We love watching your growth. I know our, our listeners have really enjoyed your offerings. We're going to be doing a, a sports business radio uh, best ball draft nice. coming up soon, which we always enjoy. So thanks again for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for the partnership and continued success to you. I mean, I can't believe when you say you're in the first three minutes of the game, that makes me excited for all the growth that lies ahead. There is there is a ton to come. Um, and, and thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for for the partnership. It's it's always wonderful to work with great partners who, who love the games and products and, and have a customer base that enjoy them as well. Jeremy Levine, founder and co-CEO of Underdog Fantasy. Find them online at underdogfantasy.com. Thanks again, Jeremy. Thanks, Ryan. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy sports. It's also the fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Your fantasy leagues might be over, but you can still play fantasy sports games on Underdog Fantasy. I love playing Pick'em and Rivals. With Pick'em, you can pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. You can win 20 times your money in a single night. You pick between two and five players to build a pick'em entry. Also, Rivals pits two players against each other. That's a lot of fun, too. It could be two players on the same team. It could be two players from other teams. Points, rebounds, fantasy points. It's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying that with NBA games, especially right now. Sign up today with promo code SBR and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the App Store. And don't forget to register with my promo code SBR, like Sports Business Radio, to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. 
Must be 18 plus and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-522-4700 or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks to the Sports Business Radio team, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Ryan Nakajima, and from our friends at CG Sports, CG Young and Nicole Wardle. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.